We are back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan today. Uh, so something has just come down in Cole County. Uh, we, we talked on this show in this slot a couple of weeks ago about a lawsuit that had been filed by the Missouri NAACP trying to invalidate a voter ID law that the legislature had recently passed. Um, one of the things we talked about is the Missouri Supreme Court had struck down a couple of iterations of voter ID laws, and so Missourians voted to amend the state constitution to make clear that uh, the legislature could adopt a voter ID law. Um, and so the question in this case was, was had, had they finally found the right combination to get a, uh, a voter ID law that the courts would uphold? So the NAACP had filed this lawsuit and Judge Beatum, the circuit judge that was hearing this matter in Cole County, just within the last, uh, I guess within the last half hour, handed down a judgment that concluded that the NAACP did not have standing to file this challenge. So for now, the voter ID law remains in place. Now, when judges dismiss a case, they can do so um, with prejudice, which means that the case cannot be refiled. The judge's decision is final. Or they can dismiss the case without prejudice. And that means that if the plaintiff goes back and changes their pleading in some important ways, then the judge may ultimately go ahead and reconsider um, or, or consider the matters that had been included in the lawsuit. So what Judge Beatum did here is he dismissed the case without prejudice and specifically said that the plaintiffs have 30 days to go back and file an amended pleading to replead the case. So for the time being, the uh, voter ID laws are going to remain in place. That means they are going to remain in place uh, through the general election in early November. Uh, but it is possible that after the general election, uh, the NAACP or a different plaintiff may come back and file uh, a similar challenge that may ultimately uh, raise in front of the courts this question of whether the voter, voter ID law is constitutional under state and federal law. Anyway, that was kind of breaking news I wanted to fill people in about. Um, and it relates to some of the topics that we've hit on earlier in the show anyway, uh, that being constitutional questions involving the First Amendment, constitutional questions involving elections, the, um, the crisis of confidence that I feel like people have in our electoral system. And, and I think one of the things that's illustrated by this particular lawsuit is that that crisis of confidence goes both ways. Um, the most prominent concerns about elections are being voiced by people on the right, people who are concerned that particularly the use of electronic voting machines um, and maybe just the way the, the elections are being conducted in general are skewing the results of the elections, that they're basically rigging elections in favor of the Democratic Party. Um, but Democrats also have concerns about the ways that elections are being conducted. They have concerns about um, the district lines that are being drawn, particularly in Republican states. They're worried that um, the lines are being intentionally designed to minimize uh, representation uh, of, of Democratic voters while maximizing representation of Republican voters. 
And I think that this is a huge problem. It's one that we've been dealing with for some time now. It's not new. Um, but we really need to figure out a way to deal with the concerns about the legitimacies of our election. One of the things that our entire system of government is based on is the idea that government derives its just powers from the consent of the people. And if the people feel like the electoral system that they're living under does not produce a government that is actually representative of the people themselves, then that consent is in question. And therefore, the legitimacy of the government itself is in question. And that is a very bad situation to be in. We need to find a way that people from all political perspectives can have more confidence in the integrity of our system as well as ensuring that the system is adequately representing all of the members of the public, right? Um, I think that this is a subject that people are likely to have a lot of things to say about. Uh, feel free to call in. The number here is 1-800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. While I'm waiting to see if we get any calls on this, I'm going to talk a little bit again about this uh, situation that we've got in Greene County with a new case that I'm going to be litigating on behalf of um, a, a citizen down there who had asked for cast vote records related to the 2020 election. Um, if people have been following what Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, has been doing for the last several months, they'll be well familiar with this because he's been encouraging people all over the country to contact their local officials and obtain these cast vote records. And the idea is this. The concern that many people have is that the electronic voting machines um, that were being used for these elections uh, were somehow infiltrated with an algorithm so that the votes that were being tallied, the votes that were being recorded, were not necessarily representative of the votes that voters were actually casting. In other words, the concern was that the machines were, were not accurately reflecting the choices made by people at the polls, but rather were inserting uh, predetermined vote totals that would ensure um, a, a Democrat would win any given election. That's the concern. So um, I have been on record in this hour of, of radio consistently saying I am highly skeptical that this is actually happening um i have not yet seen any evidence that i think is trustworthy that suggests that the election results that we got in 2020 were not substantially the intentions of the voters who are going out and casting their ballots that's not to say that there weren't some problems with the way the elections were handled i'm not saying that um, I think that there are certainly improvements that could be made. I think that there were certain ways that elections were handled in some states that maybe they shouldn't have been handled that way. I don't think that changed the result of the election. So I think it's valid for people to have these questions, even if I am not particularly persuaded um, as far as the ultimate outcome. But more importantly, 
when we are dealing with this kind of a crisis in confidence about the integrity of elections, I think the best solution here is transparency. So if citizens are asking for these records, to the extent that they don't show how any particular individual cast their ballot, and again, my client's not asking for that, but to the extent that they don't show how an individual cast their ballot so we're not disturbing the, the secrecy of, of the ballot, wouldn't it be a good thing for citizens to be able to look into how these voting machines were actually functioning and how they were tallying votes? If they find that nothing was amiss, that everything was functioning exactly the way that you would expect it to with people coming in and casting their ballots, well, that's a good thing because that means all of a sudden we can trust in the result. You know, if, if you don't find the indicators that people think are out there that would suggest fraud, then you can have confidence in the result, even if you're not really happy with that result. On the other hand, if they do find the indicators that they think they're going to find showing that maybe something was amiss, maybe the system was rigged, well, that's something we need to know as well. And the only way to address this is to make sure that the people have an opportunity to see these records. That's why I think it's not just lawful. I think it's important for the courts to uphold citizens' rights to obtain these cast vote records. So if you'd like to discuss this again, the number is 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. Uh, but again, uh, I also think I, I talked about how this is an issue that that has impacts on both sides. Um, I also am on record with saying that I have real problems with uh, political gerrymandering. I, I have real problems with the fact that um, politicians and and the political parties in states all over the country are making decisions about how they're going to draw district lines based on what's going to favor their party. I think that that is contrary to the genius of our political system. The idea of our political system is supposed to be that those who are elected are roughly representative of the people who are doing the voting. And that does not give whatever power whatever party is in power licensed to manipulate the system so that they guarantee that they've got more influence in political office than uh, the distribution of political ideals throughout the population would suggest Um, and yet that's something that we're running into and again it's not a partisan issue i want to remind people that new york just had uh, legislative district maps thrown out because the Democrats did the exact same thing that they accused the Republicans of doing all over the country, drawing lines that are designed to benefit stro- solely their own party. Um, this is a bipartisan problem that we are seeing nationwide. And what we've got to do is figure out ways to fix it. So uh, 
later on in this hour after the break coming up, we'll be talking about some of those ideas about how to fix it. I'd love to hear some of your ideas. Again, the number is 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. We are back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Gary Nolan Show. Earlier in this show, we had a caller call in and talk about a, a political candidate in St. Charles County uh, who had filed an election contest, and he had questions that, uh, suggesting that the court was improperly handling uh, the the lawsuit. And one of the things that I pointed out is that an election contest um, is supposed to be filed against the opposing candidate. Like the the state law spells out how an election contest is supposed to be handled. And uh, I had actually read the petition that was filed in this case, and I didn't think that there was any substance there, um, that, that it was not an election contest. It wasn't contesting the outcome of the particular uh, race. Uh, the candidate has gotten in touch with me. She's very unhappy with what I had to say about this situation, and I invited her to call in because I'd, I'd love to hear uh, her perspective on this. Uh, this is uh, Allie Grafe. Are you on the line with us? I am. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Not a problem. So, just to clarify, um, what was said earlier in the show is is uh, the caller was saying that uh, there was a 10-day limit in which a court is supposed to hear an election contest, um, and, and uh, he was very upset that the courts had not followed that procedure. And what I pointed out to him is under the relevant statute here, it's actually not 10 days. You have, you have five days after the election result is certified to file your lawsuit and then well, actually until you have five days from the time that the secretary of state posts the official election results which is a pertinent fact in in this whole thing and he he is correct the courts have not handled this appropriately because you uh, that that the posting of that um official election results which um secretary of state ashcroft did on the 26th I have five days to to file a petition to contest the election that I believe there are irregularities. And and you're mistaken. The law, the statute does not give, it does not state another candidate. And under 115.531, it states that any candidate that, that believes that there were irregularities in their election has a right to contest the election in the circuit court and has to be filed within that five days. As a matter of fact, it also goes on to state, um, 115.535 goes on to state that this case shall take priority over all other cases, will be heard day to day, nights and weekends if necessary, and must conclude prior to the 10th Tuesday before the general election, which would be the 10th Tuesday prior to our general election, which would be August 30th. Okay, so Ms. Grafe, let me let me interrupt here. Mm-hmm. So this is where um, I I'm not going to ever say that it's imperative that people consult consult with attorneys um, before they embark on litigation. I know some people who have taken on cases pro se and they've done a really really good job representing themselves, um, but. When someone who is not an attorney tries to take on a case, there may well be things that they overlook. And what you appear to have overlooked is that elsewhere in Chapter 115, it specifies that election contests are supposed to follow the same procedure as challenges to the qualifications 
of candidates, pre-election challenges to the qualification of candidates. And that specifies that the lawsuit is filed against the opposing candidate, the person that is believed not to be qualified or eligible for the relevant office. I've litigated a couple of these cases. I've won a couple of these cases in St. Louis City in 2016. And in each of those cases, we had to sue the prevailing candidate. That was the proper defendant or the proper contestee in the terms of the statute. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so when I say that's what the statute requires, it's because there is another part of the statute that specifies this. Can you can you give me that statute that states that? Uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head. I, I, I don't have I don't have the statute in front of me at present. But um, you know, again, having litigated these cases, I know that this is how they're handled. Um, so so you are correct that you have five days after the result of the election is certified to file your petition, and then the court is supposed to have a preliminary hearing within five days uh, after the petition is filed. Uh, and then, yes, it is supposed to be accelerated to the top of the, doc- the docket. Um, it is supposed to be resolved within a certain time frame. You are correct. But what I was saying earlier this morning, and, and I do stand by it, is if the person who filed the lawsuit has not followed the procedures that the statute laid out, then it's very difficult to avail yourself of the benefits of the statute. Um, so, and I actually, as I said, I had, you're not sure which statute that is, right? Uh, well, I, I can certainly find it because I have before. Again, I don't have the statute in front of me. If you could find that for me, I I would, I would be interested in in reading that. Um, but again, let's just, let's just say everything that you said is, is true. Um, again, let's just say I wanted to contest the election, um, against a candidate. Okay. So again, we're going to go back to this timeline. So the 10th Tuesday prior to the general election, all contests must be heard, determined, and concluded by the 10th Tuesday, which is August 30th. But as a candidate, I have five days to file a contest. He filed, the Secretary of State filed, posted the official election results on the 26th. Just do the math. Five days is the 31st. So he has, they were supposed to be concluded by the 30th. So how is how does that even add up? Somebody's not breaking the law. So regardless of who, what you think is the statute, the, the courts are not handling this appropriately. And additionally, the judge that I was assigned to my hearing, to, when I got there on the day of my hearing that was scheduled, she said that she, you know she couldn't control it. Ascoff had brought it to federal; she didn't have it, but you know she would have to recuse herself. Um, due to conflicts with being friends with Kurt Barr and also being in the primary election. Two things that were very evident on August 31st or September 1st. Which well, she was tell you what, Ms. Grave, hold on, hold on. Okay, so we are going to have to go to a break here in a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. I would be willing to continue this conversation if you would like on the other side of the commercial break. Would you be interested sure. in doing that? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Um, I will be. I will respond to some of these issues that you've raised, um, but but I want to make clear that uh, for the listeners that 
when someone alleges a violation of certain constitutional rights, when they raise a federal issue, there is a mechanism that allows for a case to be removed from state court into federal court. And that is going to be an issue that we're talking about. We have, we have the amended side the of petition. This break. We have amended the petition completely. Ms. Ms. Grafe, we'll talk about this on the other yeah. side of the break. I just wanted to make sure that the listeners understood what the idea of removal was. Okay. So we're going into the break right now. Listeners, hang on. We're going to keep talking to uh, former candidate Allie Grafe about her challenge to the outcome of an election in St. Charles County this year. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. Welcome back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Gary Nolan Show. We have been talking to uh, former political candidate Allie Grafe. Um, she was displeased with the way that the election went in uh August of 2022, filed a lawsuit, and uh, we've been discussing that lawsuit. In the early part of the show, we had someone call in and complain that um, the Missouri courts weren't, uh, or rather, that the courts were not handling the case properly, and I pointed out that um, although it was framed as an election contest, uh, she had not sued the proper defendant, and in fact, I wasn't sure that it was actually an election contest at all. Um, so, Miss Grafe decided to call in, and we've been having a conversation about these issues. Miss Grafe uh, felt like I misrepresented um, the situation, and so I wanted to give her an opportunity to voice her own perspective on this. But I actually did pull up the petition that Miss Grafe filed. And here is the relief that she was asking for. She asked for the immediate and permanent removal of the state of Missouri from federal mandates under the Help America Vote Act, the immediate and permanent removal of all voting machine, electronic voting machine system equipment and poll pads in the state of Missouri, immediately return the state of Missouri to hand cast and hand counted paper ballots, temporarily restrain as well as preliminary and permanently enjoin respondents, uh, et cetera, from implementing or enforcing the use of electronic voting machines, equipment, and electronic poll pads, and from taking any other action to implement the use of electronic voting equipment in all future Missouri elections, prohibit the Missouri Secretary of State and all election officials in the state of Missouri from deletion, destruction, disposal, or altering of all election data pertaining to the November 3rd, 2020 general election in the state of Missouri and grant such other and further relief the court sees just, equitable, and proper, including, without limitation, an award of attorney's fees and costs to the petitioner. Now, what I did not see in any of that was a, a statement asking the court to find that Ms. Grafe actually won the election that she was contesting. And that's what the because election contest not, that's statute... Not what the, because that's not what this is about. This is about... Well, but that's my point. Like, that's my but, point. You, you, you were claiming I, the election contest statute. And I am contesting the election. I am. But, see, but your you petition did not, did not ask the court to find that. So, so again, this is something that, that people who have not been trained as attorneys don't always understand. Courts can only afford the remedy that you ask for. They don't get to just pull out of thin air what remedy they're going to offer you. And you have to spell out in your pleading what it is you want the court to do. And if you don't ask for it, the court's not supposed to be able to give it to you. 
And so when you file um, a have petition... Have you read through the full petition, Mr. Ross? Yes. Yes, I have. I've so, read through so the entire what, thing. What, so then you'll realize that this is a case of first precedence, right? This is not... This, this is... The, the whole machine thing is all new. The, all the machine manipulation, people are just now learning about this, right? It's never been brought to... Um, in, in a court, it's never been. It's the, the election as a whole that I ran in was not held per the law, and and, and you're right. I did when I first initially filed the the petition to contest. It had some federal, so we amended it, took all the federal out, just replaced it with the state law. All of it, like HB 511, we codified HAVA into law into HB 511. So it didn't have any effects on the case except we took it out of federal, but removed it, all the federal, anything federal in it, we, we put state, right? So Okay, this, I, I have not seen the amended petition, so I don't know about that. Okay. Okay, so we, we have, it's, it's been filed, it's, it's on the case. Um, we have. Did you ask for different relief? In the state petition, or in, in the in the amended petition, no, because the the relief the relief is the removal of the machines because we cannot have legal elections until these machines are removed because this. So let, let me let me ask you: the, the the were you able to locate that statute that says about the, the candidate? No, I, I don't have the statutes okay. in front of me. No. Okay. Um, well, I didn't know if you would the internet on on the break, but you know, I I don't I that that the the law allows me to contest an election where irregularities happen, and and the fact that the the officials, so our our elected uh, official of our elections is Kurt Barr, and the director of elections for Missouri is Secretary Stasha. So those are the two that are stated in this contestation and it absolutely is a contestation it is to contest the election because it was held illegally improperly and both of these two elected officials knew about this information because i served them both um maladministrations and included all of the evidence back in february or march so, so here's aware of all of this. here here is another another problem that you're that you're facing to file a successful election contest it is not sufficient to say that the law was not complied with in how the election was conducted you have to also show that whatever irregularity you've identified affected the outcome of the election. Okay, so and that, I did that. Okay, so you're you're an attorney, so you understand. You understand about a um, a, a breathalyzer machine, right? Uh, you know, every, usually every attorney, every judge has taken on a, a DUI case or knows somebody that has a DUI case. Now, it's very similar, apples to apples. So if you take that intoxilizer machine, and and as an attorney, if you're able to prove, because it's it's basically, it's a laboratory, it's a machine, it's an, a certification, an accreditation, and a printout, and the legality of that printout. And if our, if, if, if any, there's any chink in the armor, that printout is not admissible in a court of law to to prosecute a DUI case. But this so, is not a DUI case, Ms. Gray. But it's the same principle. <laughs> this is, the, the printout well, from the tabulation again, machine that has this is, that is not Ms. Grave, I'm going to ask you to settle down 
I am trying to have a, a polite, calm conversation with you. And I understand you may not like what I have to say, but I am giving you an opportunity to share your perspective. Mm -hmm. And I ask you to give me an opportunity to share mine as well. And right. so, so, but I, I haven't, I haven't finished sharing this. So that's where I'm trying to get through. You, you, you interrupted and said, it's not, this isn't an intoxilizer machine. You're right. It's not, but I'm comparing apples to apples on how it makes the outcome, how that changes the outcome for my election. Because if the printout from that tabulator machine is not admissible, if those, if that printout, if that, those totals are not admissible, it does change. It changes everything. That is not how the law works in the state of Missouri when it comes to election contests. So, so you, is, you have so tried to analogize the situations, and what I'm telling you is there is no law to support that analogy you're trying to make. So what courts have said, interpreting well, Missouri election, ma'am, I listened for several minutes. I am now responding. Missouri election law is its own creature. Um, it does not necessarily follow the same rules that you would expect from other types of law. And if the procedures of Missouri election law are not followed strictly, then the courts are supposed to disregard um, what's incompliant, what's noncompliant. Your petition, in order to be a valid election contest, needed not only to identify an irregularity, which could include unlawful counting of ballots, but it also needed to say, because of that irregularity, um, there is doubt about the actual outcome of the election. In other words, the person who won the election may not have legitimately won the election. Number one, as I pointed out, you never said this in the relief that you were asking for. You didn't ask for a finding that there was doubt about the outcome of the election. And in fact, the results of the election out of nearly 4,000 ballots cast, you got 169 and the winner got 1,787. So no one was with it, except that it's not. It because is. It's completely well, let, let me let me explain to you, Miss Grafe. Okay, when I filed these election contests in St. Louis City in 2016, one of my candidates lost his race by about 90 votes. The other one lost his race by about 50 votes. In order to win in that case, I had to show the courts not only that there were irregularities in the form of unlawfully counted ballots, but also that because of the number of unlawfully counted ballots, we could not be certain about the legitimacy of the outcome of the election. And what we were able to show in the one case was that I believe in the neighborhood of 300 ballots were unlawfully counted. And when the margin of victory is only 85 or 90, You've got, you know, nearly four times as many unlawful ballots cast, and that could easily make up the difference in the outcome of the election. Um, that's why we won those cases, because we were able to show not only that there was a violation of the law in the way the votes were being tallied, but also that the degree of the irregularity likely cast doubt on the outcome, the legitimacy of the outcome of the election. When you've got a candidate in your race that wins by nearly 800 votes over the next closest competitor, of which you were not. You were the fourth place vote getter, so there was no suggestion that you won. Um, 
and especially when you don't ask the court for a ruling that the that you actually won the election that's not following the process that's laid out under Missouri law and that's why I said I didn't see anything valid there as far as an election contest was concerned. We're about to go into another break, uh, and it looks like we got another caller, so I want to make sure we get to this other caller on the other side of the break. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. We are back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan today. We have been talking a little bit about some election issues. One of the things I started off with uh, kind of the top of the hour was uh, just the crisis of confidence that people have in the legitimacy of our electoral outcomes. And uh, I would love to see us come up with some better solutions that allow people to be confident. We talked uh, for the last couple of segments with Allie Grafe, who is a, a former candidate for office in St. Charles County. Uh, she was disappointed with how the election was conducted. But one of the things that I, I tried to explain to her is that the way she went about trying to address this just it, it was was never going to get the the legal result that she wanted. Um, she was not happy with uh, how I described that. So uh, I do think we got a couple of callers. Let's let's go to Dan. Dan, you've been on the line. You've been very patient. Uh, what what would you like to to say about this? Hi, Dave. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, you know, so I've read Allie's case actually, and I live in the city of St. Louis, um, and. I've also been there in person when I think it was Allie and a number of maybe six other uh, ladies confronted John Ashcroft, Jay Ashcroft and Kurt Barr in person uh, to the point where they didn't have a a defense. Um, And it's really specific to her case, what they were talking about. Um, You know, the machines you, you mentioned, and you had a good point, that she needs to show illegality. And the thing of it is, is she's got a bombshell case. Not, not just illegality. Not just illegality. You have to show that it changed the outcome of the election. It it absolutely did. The machines are illegally being used. They're illegal. So, so who actually, who actually won this race then? Fraud, we won't know until we won't know because the the, the race was illegal. So she's the saying she's saying we cannot illegal. know that this seven hundred eight hundred vote gap between the, the first place candidate and the second illegal. place candidate you, was you valid. Can, you can admit. I think you need to talk more about what her case is actually about. Her case, and let me finish, please. Her case is the fa- is stating clearly and shows. If you've read, have you read it? Yes, I I read all 41 pages of the original complaint. You're familiar with the fact that these machines were not properly certified, correct? Uh, That is the allegation she made. I don't have any idea whether that is actually correct or not, because that's what you decide in a a lawsuit. That's what you decide. Well, what do you think about it? We're asking you right now. Tell everybody. Do you not think the machines were, do you think that they were legally certified? No attorney who hears only one side of a case. Okay, you're cut off. No attorney who hears only one side of a case where they are not advocating on behalf of uh, a, a client has any business saying, oh, yes, absolutely, this is the way things should go. You have to at least understand what the other side's argument is. And and in this situation, I am skeptical 
about the claims that are being made. And one way or another, I don't think the fact so she's claiming that these um, machines were not properly certified, but she doesn't make the allegation that um, that the votes themselves were not reflective of the will of the voters. Right. So she says technically here were these um, mistakes that were made and therefore um, she asserts that it means that um, that you just can't trust anything that comes out of the machine. Um, I don't think that necessarily follows at all. And that's the sort of thing that has to be proven in court if you want to have any chance of, of prevailing in your case. But but the problem that I've got here is with so many people who have got these concerns they are basing their claims about what the law is on what they very much want the law to be. And that is not necessarily the case. So we heard Ms. Grafe go on and on about how she thought she had filed her case correctly. The fact of the matter is she did not. And that precludes the result that she wants. And and unfortunately, with a lot, and after I've talked to Dozens of people about these and similar issues over the last year and a half. I have talked to to tons of people about this. And the best of those conversations, they hear what I have to say. They understand that I have worked on these issues. I'm an expert on these issues. And they say, I don't like what you're telling me, but I understand the way that you've explained the law. The worst of those conversations, they double down and they insist that somehow they know better than I do what the law requires when, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not one of those in the camp that says that people who haven't been trained as attorneys can't understand the law. To the contrary, I think they can understand the law. But when someone who has been trained as an attorney tries to explain to you that you are misunderstanding what the law is or how the legal process works, maybe you need to take that seriously. And if you don't take that seriously, you're just signing up to lose in court. And that's ultimately what matters. So I, uh, you know, I, I cut off the gentleman who called in because he did not seem interested in understanding why these claims were never going to succeed in court. He just wanted to assert things and say, well, you don't have an answer for this. Well, no, that's, that's not true. Not true. We've got a, a caller on the line. We're not going to be able to get to him before we go into this break. I would like to get to him on the other side of this break. Oh, no, there, there is no other side. We are up against the end of the show. So I apologize to the caller that, uh, that we're not going to be able to get to. Um, bottom line is, um, we need to learn to talk to each other and try to understand each other instead of just shouting past each other. That's something that that I have worked really hard to promote, uh, you know, in the, my time working here in Missouri. Uh, I am hopeful that um, that people listening in will understand uh, how I've tried to model that and that they'll do it themselves when we have these political conversations. Thanks so much for joining us today. Gary, I believe, is going to be back, but I'm going to be here next week on Monday, so I hope you'll listen in again, particularly the then, in the meantime, this is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network.